We're going to be looking at a uh, couple of uh, passages this morning. We're going to, as I continue in my uh, our study and uh, series on the book of Psalms, we are going to continue and uh, uh, be looking at Psalm 23, verse 2. Psalm 23, verse 2. And then we're also going to be looking at Philippians. In the New Testament, the Pauline epistle, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. The gung-ho, confident warrior became a battlefield casualty. His left leg sheared off below the knee, and the right leg amputated ten days later. He was scared, and he was scared. Injured in body, mind, and spirit. Fear controlled him. Fear about walking with artificial legs, fathering children. Fear about starting new in a civilian career. Could he be as confident as before the injury? He often asked himself. You may never have been injured on the battlefield. Maybe you've never even been on a battlefield. But you have been on the battlefield of life. You have managed to navigate through the minefields of life, such as personal chronic illnesses, financial crisis, or even death of a loved one. Some of you have survived some even more devastating blows from the enemy, such as sexual assault, childhood sexual abuse, divorce, or even the death of a child, or some other crisis that maybe I even failed to mention this morning. This passage in Philippians chapter 4, in verses 6 through 9, as has been, to me, one of the most meaningful passages of Scripture. But it also, at the same time, has been one of the most frustrating passages of Scripture for me. Don't be anxious. Stop worrying. You heard that before? Maybe you've said it. I know I've said it to my mom many of times. My mom is a worrier. And realizing that all these years that is always pointing my finger saying, don't worry, Mom, that I had three pointing back at me. I was just like her, a worrier. The most meaningful part for me is when I somehow manage, the most meaningful part in this passage is when I somehow manage to experience that peace that surpasses all human comprehension. Somehow we seem to miss the in-between part of that passage, don't we? We hear the be anxious for nothing, and then we skip ahead to the, that peace that surpasses all human comprehension, and we forget about what's in the middle. The psalmist knew what it meant to experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. When he wrote, he leads me beside still waters. You know, my personal experience with peace has been much more sporadic and, and I think a whole lot less consistent than the psalmist 
or the Apostle Paul. So how can we experience this perfect peace in our lives in a, in a more consistent manner? Now, I know that I'm speaking to some of you that have been through some serious stuff and you have learned the secret of contentment. You have learned and more consistently have applied and, and have experienced that peace that surpasses all human comprehension. But I know that there's many of us that have not. And, and so how can we make this more consistent in our lives? Is it even possible to do that? Is it even possible to experience perfect peace? Some might say no. But the Apostle Paul says that we can. God's Word says that we can. That it is possible to experience this kind of peace. The secret is in the pudding. Not really. It's in the Scriptures. Always wanted to say that. We simply need to do three things. We need to trust. We need to ask of God. And we need to learn to give thanks. It is that simple. Now the first one, learn to trust. You know, an average person's anxiety, according to a study, is focused on five things. Five things. Forty percent of the things that uh, we have anxiety about are things that will never happen. Thirty percent of the things that we have anxiety about are things about the past that can't be changed. 12% are things are about things about criticism by others, mostly untrue. 10% is about health, which gets, by the way, gets the ironic part is that uh, 10% is about health, which gets worse with stress. So the more we worry the worse our health becomes. And 8% is about real problems that we will be faced with. Now I find it interesting that you notice that the larger percentage, that 40% and that 30% are focused on things that we have no control over in this life. This is why we worry, why worry is so destructive in our lives. The psalmist knew it. Paul knew it. Many of the great uh, men of faith in the Bible knew it. So why do we worry? Why are we anxious? Worry divides the mind. Anxiety splits our energy between today's priorities and tomorrow's problems. Worrying is not a disease, but it causes diseases. It has been connected to high blood pressure, heart trouble, blindness, migraine headaches, thyroid malfunctions, and a host of stomach disorders. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.27 that we cannot add a single cubic to our lives by worrying about anything. It will only take away our life. So how do we do this? 
I believe a good place to start is in Psalm 23, 2. And I'm going to turn back to that. It's just a, a short piece in that chapter. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. In the second part, he leads me beside the still waters. The emphasis is on he leads. God is not behind us, pushing us forward, but rather he is taking the lead. He is taking point in our lives, going before us, looking and knowing where those pitfalls are, where the landmines are, where the problems that will separate us from him, that will, that will drain us, that will cause stress and anxiety and, and difficulty in our lives and, and do that which will, will uh, hinder our relationship with him. And he goes ahead. And so he leads us. He leads us by still waters. Wow. I don't know if, uh, uh, and I think I've mentioned this last time, that uh, when I, used, I grew up, I grew up surfing, and uh, one of the things I loved so much was being out on that water early in the morning when the water was like glass, and it was still, and it was calm, and there was just such a calmness about that. Now, the interesting thing is that God leads us by still waters but does that mean that he's going to lead us away from danger? That he's going to lead us, always lead us away from trials and problems in life? That we're not going to experience those things if we trust him? No. But he is saying that in the midst of the storm, we can find calmness. In the midst of the trials and tribulations of life, we can find those still waters I just I love that story in the Bible as Jesus is out on the boat and there's a big storm that arises and he's and, and you know these fishing boats they weren't like they, they weren't uh, like the uh, carnival cruise boats okay they're small fishing vessels and, and, I, and I understand that on the Sea of Galilee that when a storm arose on that lake, because it's a pretty big lake, and when a storm arose, it got pretty rough. And here they were in the midst of a storm, and the disciples are in that boat. In the midst of a storm, what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's resting. He's getting that rim sleep. Rapid eye movement. For those of you who don't know what rim sleep is, of course you do. But he's resting in the boat, calm, still, because he was confident in God, in the relationship that he had with the Father, and the relationship between the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is this perfect relationship. And, and so he has full confidence in the Father, God the Father. And then when they wake him up, he calms the storm and he's like, it's like, uh, you know, he wakes up and I can just see it now. I say, okay, stop. The storm stops. It's, like, it's no big deal to him. The spoken word of Jesus, incarnate God as he speaks the word, calms the seas. And he's like, oh, you have little faith. Don't you not know who's in the boat with you? 
Do you not have confidence in me? And the psalmist had confidence in him. I like the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says, we will find grace to help in time of need. But listen to the whole verse in its context. Before he says that, he says, let us therefore boldly approach the throne of grace. I believe I heard that mentioned in the prayer. I think, awesome, because that's what I'm going to talk about. But let us therefore boldly approach the throne of grace. Boldly. Uh, and and I, I think a lot, of, a lot of debate about, scholarly debate about who wrote, who actually authored the uh, book of Hebrews. I kind of think it's uh, the Apostle Paul because it, a lot of the literary style sounds like Paul. And this, in this passage, but he's saying, boldly approach the throne of grace. Boldly. We can do that. Now, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that, you know, that we can, uh, you know, if, if we were in England and we were have, to have the opportunity to go into the throne room where the queen or the king would sit at their throne, that, I mean, the opportunity, I mean, we would not be able to just walk up to that throne, would we, in England and approach that throne with confidence Knowing that, hey, I've got a good relationship with the king and queen of England. Not. But the Bible says that we have that kind of relationship with our heavenly father. That we can approach his throne with confidence. And ask for help. Ask for help. And what does it say? That we will find grace to help. In time of need. In time of need, it is timely. God's help is always timely. Not only do we need a place to place our confidence in Jesus, but we need to learn to ask God, to pursue God. Jesus says, seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door shall be opened. Jesus was saying, all you have to do is ask. Pursue me. Pursue holiness. Pursue righteousness and God will grant it to you. Look in, uh, back in, uh, turn back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And in verse 6, it says, be anxious for nothing. And see, this is where we miss oftentimes. We, we get stuck. We get uh, hung up on this one part where it says, be anxious for nothing. How many of you have ever had someone tell you, well, well, stop thinking about it. Stop worrying. Okay. Well, How? Isn't that sort of irritating? <laughs> you ever had someone do that to you? It's like, what do you mean stop worrying? Especially if you're a worrier. I mean, it's just like, it's my nature to worry. And it really is our human nature to worry. Some of us more than others. But 
The Apostle Paul doesn't stop at just saying, you know, be anxious for nothing and then, okay, the rest you're on on your own to figure that out. How do you be anxious for nothing? How do we stop worrying? But he says, but, but, I love that, in everything, by prayer and supplication, by prayer and supplication, We have got to learn to ask of God. And then it goes on in that verse and it says, let your requests be made known unto God. No, I didn't forget the Thanksgiving part because that comes later. But let your requests be made known to God. It's that simple, people. But what do we do? Because of our human nature, we tend to be self-reliant, aren't we? We think that somehow I've got this God. I, I, I really do. God, just, just stay back there on your throne. I've got it. I'll handle this one. And God's saying, no. You sit down and rest. I've got it. I'll take point on this one. I'll take point on this one. If you're worried about something and my advice to you was simply just stop worrying, what would you think? Or what would you want to say to me in return? I think some of you probably say, well, just shut up. Don't talk to me right now. You know, when, when, when you've actually gone through life and have actually experienced uh, some of the uh, real, real life, then you can come back to me and tell me not to worry, but... Uh, uh, don't tell me right now. You know, wh- wh- what do we say to a small child getting ready, uh, uh, getting ready to get into something that is dangerous for them? What does the pim- parent say? Do they, does the parent simply say, child, don't do that? No, we don't. And we say, no, no. And then we redirect the child to another activity. And we pull them away from the danger. And so the psalmist says, he will lead us beside still waters. We have to trust God and ask God to to give us direction to where we need to go, what we need to do to keep every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The reason I believe we get stuck in this passage from Philippians is that uh, somehow we think that we can just simply jump ahead to that perfect peace. And, and uh, when we don't get it, we're perplexed or confused about what's going on. Why am I not experiencing peace? You know, and uh, we, 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 we forget that we have to ask God. We think that we can control it. We think that we can uh, take care of matters. And, and when we don't have that peace, we wonder why. It's because we skip Uh, We skip the how-to that is perfectly placed between the problem, which I think is so neat. As we look at the how-to, it is perfectly placed between the problem and the end state. Problem and the end state. The problem is the anxiety. The end state is that perfect peace that surpasses all human comprehension. And right smack in the middle is the how-to. It's to pray, to give thanks, 
to let your request be made known unto God. Lastly, we must cultivate an attitude of gratefulness. Look at verse, uh, again in verse 6. I told you I wouldn't forget about the Thanksgiving part because there it is. It says that, you know, so our prayer and our supplication must be laced and intertwined with an attitude of gratefulness, of gratitude. And I believe a lot of studies have been done on having a grateful heart and the impact that it has on us as individuals and how it can have an impact even on our health physically. That if we learn to, uh, to be a, a, a grateful heart, is a joyful heart and a happy heart. And so uh, we must learn to cultivate this attitude of gratefulness. Uh, in the Army, we have a training program to build resiliency, and it's called Master Resiliency Training. And one of the things that we talk about in that Master Resiliency Training is learning to hunt the good stuff. And see, the problem a lot of times that we have in this life is that we, we forget about the good stuff. And we get overwhelmed emotionally and spiritually and even physically by the bad stuff that overshadows all that good that happens in our life that God is doing in our lives. So as we look at verse 6, Paul says that, that our prayers must be laced with this thanksgiving. And now look at verses 8 through 9. And I love these verses. And, and to me, talking about a how-to. Here you go. Here's your answer. This is how you can be anxious. You do this, I guarantee you, you will be a less anxious person and you will experience God's perfect peace. Now let's look at these verses. Verse 8 and 9. says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, hunting the good stuff, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know, it's funny, the uh, Army's resiliency program, they stole this from the Bible, I believe. Because God's been saying this for years. Trust me. Focus on that which is good. And in that verse, uh, I, I, I forgot which uh, book it's in, but it says uh, that we ought to Keep every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So as we're struggling with the bad stuff and negative things happen in our lives and we're tempted to, to think the worst and we're tempted to be anxious and to be hurt and, and to have self-pity, we ought to keep every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is how we do that. This is how we keep every thought captive. We focus on these things. We meditate on these kinds of things. That we allow our minds to be consumed by these things. 
Now, I know you know how to do that. How many of y'all have ever uh, 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 wished for something like a new car or a certain kind of car or a motorcycle, a Harley, or something in your life that you really, really wanted bad? And then I think every one of us, especially in our younger years, we've, we've gone through this. Or maybe a house, and you would, you would look at pictures of it, and you look online and see these different pictures and all the features, and you imagine yourself riding that Harley or driving that car or living in that house and, and, uh, and you, I mean, you're, you're, you, you become consumed with thoughts about that thing. Well, that's what the, uh, Paul, the writer of Philippians, is saying here. Allow your thoughts to be consumed by that which is worthy of praise, by the good stuff in your life. One of the common struggles, um, back up a little bit, in the, in the 12-step program for recovery for alcoholics, and also 12-step is uh, used in, uh, not only in AA, but it's also used in Celebrate Recovery, which is a Bible-based version of this 12-step program. And in that 12-step program, one of the, uh, the, the four-step says that we must take a moral inventory of our lives. One of the common struggles that you hear from those that are going through this fourth step is that the bad stuff often overshadows the good stuff and that the good stuff is left out of that moral inventory. Because the thing is that when you're going through that moral inventory, you're not just looking at the bad stuff that happens, but you're looking at the good things that happen. It's a complete moral inventory those things which you have done poorly and those things that you have done well Duke University did a study on the peace of mind factors found to contribute greatly to emotional and mental stability are number one they wrote they had uh, the absence of suspicion and resentment Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. Number two, not living in the past and unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. Number three, not uh, wasting time and energy fighting conditions you cannot change. Cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. Number four, they wrote... Force, in, uh, force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. Number five, refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow or misfortune. Number six, cultivate the old-fashioned virtues Love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. So like this person may have been uh, reading Philippians chapter 4. Number seven, do not expect too much of yourself. When there is too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals you have set, feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. Find something bigger than yourself. To believe in. Wow. Well, we know who that is. 
Self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. Now remember the battle-hardened, gung-ho, confident warrior that I mentioned earlier this morning. Well, and now for the rest of the story. Slowly he began to trust the promise of Philippians chapter six verses or chapter four verses six through nine. Of course, this meant putting his confidence in Jesus and what he could do. He also began to experience the power of prayer in his life. And he learned to ask God and seek God's good fortune to pursue God's righteousness. And lastly, he began to cultivate an attitude of thanks, hunting the good stuff in his life. His journey was full of bomb craters and booby traps, troubled relationships, financial devastation, illnesses, and additional surgeries that were required. But he came to realize that the way to a new normal after injury is by following and trusting Jesus Christ. That's what brought him through. That's what gave him the peace that surpassed human comprehension. And today, may you begin to experience God's perfect peace more consistently in, our li in your lives. This week, allow God to lead you beside those still waters. Let us pray. Lord, as I come to you this morning, I pray as the author of Hebrews said, I come boldly before your throne of grace, knowing that we can find grace to help in time of need. Lord, teach us the secret of contentment. Now realize that for some of us, it's sooner than later. But for people like me, God, I know that that is a lifetime endeavor. But God, I just pray that each day you would draw us closer to you, that we would learn to allow you to take point, to lead us by, beside those still waters. We pray these in your blessed Son's name. Amen.